It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 667 for January 6, 2021, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Mike Price, who's also known as Grumpy in the Podfeet Slack and the live show chat room. He's anything but grumpy, but welcome to the show, Mike. Well, thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. Well, I asked Mike to come on to talk to us about the automation tool Keyboard Maestro. And let me give you some background on why I chose Mike for this topic. And it's not because he's an expert in the topic, which which sounds like a funny reason to ask him. But but you work with me here. You'll see why I asked him on the show. When I record the podcast during the live show, I need to add chapter marks every time I change topics. The chapter marks include the title of the blog post, which for some reason needs to be entered twice into my recorder, and then the URL of the blog post. This allows you as the listener to click the links in your podcatcher and be taken right to the relevant content to see the images or maybe find links to the product that was being discussed at that time. Now, the process of creating those chapter marks was incredibly tedious, and I'm not going to go through why, but it was just a whole lot of copy, command tab, shift, paste, back and forth, back and forth. It was really, really annoying. And Mike offered, or it's possible I just tricked him into doing this, to automate it with Keyboard Maestro. Now, the macro he created me delights me every single time I use it. it. It's sort of in a stop beating your head against the wall to use this macro, but I clap with delight every single time I use it. I mean, it, it makes me so happy. So with that preamble, we're going to find out why Mike was uh, able to do this, how he did it a little bit, and, and maybe help me understand the Keyboard Maestro tool better, because I'd played with it for a while, and I didn't get anywhere with it. Mike picked it up and went, oh, it works like this, and did these amazing things. So I think in order to understand uh, the process you went through and what you've learned, um, maybe we need to know a little bit about your background before we get started. So I've been a software developer for the past 21 years. Actually, I just celebrated my 20th anniversary with, uh, with Instron, which is where I work. Um, oh, so that's, past, that's a couple weeks ago. That's the answer right there. You're a developer. It, <laughs> that definitely helps with keyboard maestro. Um, and you know, I've been programming since I was probably around 13. Okay, but um, I want to turn everybody off. I shouldn't have really focused on that because I think you're going to be able to maybe clarify some of this for us. It certainly was of huge assistance to you to to be a developer, but it's still possible to do amazing things with it without being a developer, I think, right? It is. It is. Um, sort of, you know, to... For me, the keyboard maestro is one of those sort of Swiss Army knife... Um, um, tools that allows you to do lots and lots of, of things. Essentially, it lets you act as a, um, or have it act as a virtual human driving your, your machine or automating your computer. Oh, I like that description. So anything, a lot of the things that you can do, it can do for you? Correct. Okay. Okay. So it seems like the promise of what Automator was supposed to be. It is it's sort of auto automator on steroids um, because it, it does a lot it, it does a lot more than um, than just what automator is limited to. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I've just been running into some very simple things that I needed to do that automator couldn't do, like hold down command, control, shift, and L. It can't do that. It's it's literally not. I mean, you have to you have to write a. Uh, uh, actually, you have to figure out how to write an Apple script command in order to do that. And I think you should be able to do it, but I can't do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And keyboard maestro will definitely do key presses. Um, you can also have um, other tools help with some of the multiple key press um, uh, events as well. All right. So you you say we we do have a pretty good outline, by the way. So if anybody wants to go back and reread and understand the kinds of things Mike talked about, um, you said that it eliminates the pain of frequent and mundane tasks. Yeah. So, you know, it could be as much as things like, you know, mounting um, uh, hard drive, mounting volumes, whether they're sparse bundles or... Um, uh, you know, volumes on a server. Um, it can. Actually, do... I succeeded at that. 
I have one uh, shift control option command F. Basically mash all the keys down on the left side and I hit F and it opens my financial folder on my uh, Synology. Yep. I, I have one that I, one keyboard uh, maestro macro that mounts a sparse bundle volume that my financial stuff is on, uh, launches Quicken and gets the password to my Quicken database out of Keychain. Uh, and puts it on the clipboard that I can then just paste and open my Quicken database. Okay. All right. So, so it's, it's not like that's actually all that hard to do, but it's tedious, right? Yeah. And it's tedious and things that you do over and over and over and over again. And I think, um, I think a lot of people, I, what, I, I, what I'm hoping we get out of some of this is to keep, is to trigger ideas in people's heads of what they do that is tedious and, and replicated actions that uh, it's a lot of times I'd looked at tools like this and thought, but I don't know what to automate. I don't have any ideas. So hopefully we'll trigger some ideas in people and, and maybe get some of that, come of that going. So um, now you compared or mentioned this as part of being like text expander, Hazel and automator all rolled into one. What, what do you mean by that? So for years, I've listened to your podcast, uh, David Sparks's uh, uh, Mac Power Users and Automators podcasts, and you know I've always been tempted. But you know I always hear um, the podcasters talking about Text Expander, Hazel, Automator, all these other you know, all these tools. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, instead of I, I would be tempted to go off and get all of them. Um, but I never quite had the, the need. I got text, text expander at one point, used it and only used it for a couple of things. And it, it sort of never, um, just didn't stick with you really, really stick with me. And then when they went to a subscription, it just, I couldn't justify keeping it. Um, but for, you know, keyboard maestro has, I have a bunch of, uh, macros that, um, that do your text expander kind of, you know, take, you know, semicolon EM, uh, G and just pop in my Gmail, uh, email address okay. and things like that. Um, it would be fun sometime to do a fly off with you of which, is, which is better for those tasks. Just look at that one piece. But if, if you use keyboard maestro for lots of things, then having it also do that, you've got the muscles to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think, I think that's sort of one of the the challenges that Keyboard Maestro has, I think that's something that in, in our conversations you've struggled with, that um, Keyboard Maestro may not always be the most friendly way of doing, user-friendly way of doing certain things. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things the, the user has to uh, add to, um, to make certain things, you know, certain macros work. Uh, and, and it really gets into um, keyboard maestro is is almost like uh, its own programming environment. Um, and um, you know, so uh, that's you know, Hazel, you know, for moving files around would probably be uh, I'm not I've never been a Hazel user, but I imagine it's very good at what it does uh, from everything I've heard. and it, um, probably handles, you know, file overwrite conditions and renaming conditions and those kinds of things um, very easily for the user. Whereas in Keyboard Maestro, the user might have to deal with that a lot. You'd have to check, does that file already exist? And then come up with a separate name and, and that kind of stuff. So in a way with Keyboard Maestro, you would be writing the rules uh, that, that Hazel has, the developer uh, Paul Kim has already built into the tool in that case. But it, so it sounds like the automate, or sorry, Keyboard Maestro is a, a really good generic tool for lots of different things, but there are specialized tools that maybe do those, that one thing really, really well. Right. Okay. Like I think some of the things I had heard people talk about Hazel is, um, you know, keeping files around for a certain amount of time and then getting rid of them mm -hmm. is sort of a very easy thing to to implement. Yeah. Uh, and, and in Keyboard Maestro, you have to, you know, uh, do all the date math to figure out, you know, is this file older than X number uh, of days? Okay. And then and then you can do the delete or the move or, or whatever operation you need to do. Okay. All right. So uh, you say in the notes that it it saved your life. <laughs> That's pretty dramatic. How did it save your life? So, 
So um, it, it was a bit of uh, tough, tough timing. So at the beginning of the of this year, I had switched over to starting to use Backblaze. Okay. And for this is for um, automated backups in the, the cloud. Well, yeah, for for cloud backups. Right. Um, and as I had transitioned my server over to um, from uh, CrashPlan to to Backblaze, and it was busy grinding away and and uploading, you know, I, I don't know how much data that we, I was uploading to to Backblaze. Uh-huh. Um, but at the time that I was dealing with the server, we were also going into the COVID lockdown. So I now had myself, my wife, and my daughter all doing work slash school from home. And when the server was going into its uh, upload everything to, to Backblaze, uh, nobody could get anything done, and I think the two of them were ready to kill me. So I ended up uh, throwing together a quick macro that you know I gave them a URL. Go to this URL, um, and it would basically pause the backup on the um, uh, on the oh, server. Backwards. So oh, they didn't wow. have to know how to get to. They wouldn't know how to get to the server. Uh, they probably don't even know I have a server. <laughs> <laughs> they just know I I push this. It go better. And, and to that, and that was exactly the training. Because even after that backup was done over the summer, I kept noticing on the uh, on the server because I would have it pop up a notification when it was being run and didn't need to be run, and that because it wasn't actually backing up. And um, I kept noticing that it was happening. And I was talking to my daughter. She's like, "Oh yeah, every time I, I was going to, you know, get ready for some stuff she needed to do at the beginning of uh, as school started for the fall semester." Uh, she was still running it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, well, I, let's let's get a little bit into um, talking about what it actually is and how the interface works. Okay, because this is where I, I've been using it for a while for probably more than a year, and I do a little bit with it, and I still don't understand the interface. So the user interface is split into three columns when you open it up. The left column is, says groups. The middle column says macros and the right side says is for edit. But there's other things Correct. that kind of fly up and fly down at times, depending on things you do across the bottom. And then I get all confused and I don't really understand what groups are for. When I first saw it, I thought it was for organization. But then as you and I started playing around with it, I started to think maybe it did more than that. Um, it does a little bit more. It, it is for organization. So you can... Um you can put your your macros um, into you know folders. It's a it's sort of a folder structure, so you can have your um, uh, sort of text expander type macros in a in a text expander folder uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but the other thing it does have is you can disable an entire group on top of you know uh, so that all those macros actually. Um, you know, could be uh, prevented from running on a particular Mac. So you, as you, uh, part of the reason for that is a lot of your macros would also sync across multiple Macs. So maybe you have one computer with work-related macros um, and they would be in their own folder. And then when that syncs to your home computer, you might not want that to, those macros to run. So um, you could disable that entire um, macro group on your home computer. Okay. Okay. So these these folders are really the groups, and uh, are groups uh, of macros a one to one correspondence? I mean, it, it, if you have three macros and you put them in group in group A, can the two of those macros also exist in group B? Uh, at this time, they cannot. So they okay. do not have that. That's been something that I've seen requested to have um, sort of a okay. um, uh, a smart group folder, that kind of thing. Well, they do have smart groups, though. But that's on certain they, criteria, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm. I don't even know how my my groups have gotten there. I have them by different names. But for example, I've got a uh, I've got a podcast group. I've got a Safari group, and I've got a Hindenburg group. Hindenburg is the application I use for the uh, recording of the podcast, and that's where uh, Grumpy uh, Grumpy's Hindenburg chapter marks are, and my completely failed attempt to do the same thing. Um, 
so, but those don't have to be in Hindenburg shortcuts. They could be sitting in a, a booger's group. They could be in anything. That's, There's nothing it, magic. It can be anywhere you want. I think the reason you have them in Hindenburg shortcuts is because that's where I have them. So okay. when I exported those to you and you imported them, uh, they ended up going into, um, you know, st sticking with that same, same group. Okay. Okay. Um, so logically having them by what kind of project you're doing with it or what kind of functionality they have or what application they uh, attach to, any one of those ways would be a, a way of grouping. Yep. Okay, so they don't have magical powers for being in there because I could have sworn when we were working that that there was some reason that, that the groups had like magical powers that they didn't work because I had them in the wrong group. No, and um, I think that I think the problem that you had when you originally imported them at one point and, and it makes sense that when you import something from uh from someone else you don't know you know it's sort of it defaults to being safe that you have to turn everything on as opposed to running random macros um uh with you not necessarily realizing what you're doing so i think the the group came in as disabled, oh, okay. Uh, okay. which was part of one of the problems that we had to sort of fight our way through. So that, yeah, that was a subtlety. And of course, we're doing this in text messaging back and forth half the time. So again, one of the weird parts about the interface is it's got these three columns and your brain is all focused up at the top and you've got some buttons and a menu bar up at the top. But a lot of the important stuff is down at the bottom of the screen, which is a not normally considered good UI, but uh, across the bottom, we've got, um, uh, we can add a smart group, add a group, subtract a group, but or delete a group, but then there's a checkbox. And if you check that, that's what disables a group. So there's nowhere up above where that was obvious that it was, well, it probably like turned it gray or something. Yeah, it does. It turns it gray. But I had no idea that there was a button down the bottom that was a check that would disable it. And I think it's an X when it's disabled. No, it doesn't change it at all. No, it, it doesn't. What changes is the um, the icon in the upper in the third panel. Okay. So if like I have uh, a folder um, highlighted, and if I toggle the the enable, it's it's uh, che it's checking and unchecking the enable macro group checkbox in almost the opposite corner of the screen. So the UI, um, you know, if you were, if you were, you know, looking at what you're clicking, you might not even see that something's actually changing. Yeah. Okay. All right, good. So that was probably the simplest part of the controls, but I've, I, I was really confused on that, uh, whether those groups made, had magic powers and they don't. Okay, good. All right, so the center column is for macros. And again, at the bottom, you've got a plus, minus, and a checkbox. And I'm guessing, I'm just going to guess here that the checkbox the checkbox disables it. Yes. It does. Okay, so now we know the bomb's going to be add a macro, so get rid of a macro, or disable it or enable it. But at the top, there's also like little toggle down arrows. And and, and I was going to say, for the, the enabling of the macros doesn't really disable the macro. <laughs> All you're disabling, well, it's it's a subtle thing. It's it's what you're disabling is the triggers. So normally macros can be triggered by uh, a certain key press or a time of day or a certain website being hit or all kinds of things. But macros can also run other macros. So if I, uh, as an example, disabled the um, your Hindenburg macro, it it won't. Um, trigger when, you know, I, I, as you say on the live show, mash all the keys together. Um, but I could have a different macro that ran this macro and it would still run. So it's not disabled in that sense. Oh, that's, that's subtle too. Okay. All right. So just because the macro is disabled, if that same macro gets called by another, it's, it's really the, the hot key being pressed that gets disabled. Correct. Or, or all of the triggers. There, there's all kinds of triggers that you can do. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. That's weird, but all right. Now we understand that. So um, a macro, What it, define what a macro is. Now we've used the word 200 times. What is a macro in this terminology? It's a sequence of steps to, to go through um, to perform some action. Okay. So, okay. Uh, I mean, it, in the most generic sense. 
It's just literally a, a list of steps. And, and if you want to think of it, it, it's a mini program. Okay. All right. So macro column sounds pretty simple now. What, what I think confuses me too is that the third column is the edit window. But the edit window changes what it's editing depending on whether you've selected a group or whether you've selected a macro. So that Correct. right side is, is contextual. Correct. Okay. So if I go into edit on the right-hand side, it's just editing the name of the, uh, the group. So if I've got a, a group selected, uh, then it, you can edit the name of the group. You can choose whether to enable it. Oh, available in certain applications. Correct. So that's kind of interesting. Yep. So you, I could have this mashed on all the keys in the H, works when I'm in Hindenburg, but doesn't work, doesn't do anything when I'm in Safari. Correct. Okay. All right. Um, okay. And actually, I think that's the way it is set up. Okay. Um, that that group, at least on my system, it's set up so that it only runs in Hindenburg, if Hindenburg is the uh, frontmost uh, application. Okay. I don't think I have it set that way, but I've got a lot of stuff folded up in it. So uh, my version of trying to solve this task has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine steps. And uh, his that actually works has about 250, <laughs> not counting comments. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it was a complicated task, but uh, okay. So now we're now we're over in the uh, in the edit window, and we we can add a new macro, uh, and then we can start to do something. What is the what is what is the the walk through the process of what you would do to start a, a macro? Um, well, the first thing that you would want to do is select the trigger. You know, going top down, you you would select how you want the macro triggered. Um, so there's, uh, you can, and you can have a given macro triggered, uh, from multiple ways. So it could be a, a hotkey, uh, mm -hmm. key press or when you log in and whenever either of those happens, the macro will run. Okay. You know, so maybe like mounting a volume would be a perfect example. You want the, a volume to be mounted when you log, when, when you log in or, you know, if it's if you had unmounted it at some point and you want it remounted, um, okay. you know, you'd have a key press um, to remount the the volume. Okay. Okay. Um, we so you you asked in the show notes, dare we discuss the controversial topic on hotkeys? <laughs> so part of the way you learned was David Sparks' uh, field guide on on keyboard maestro. Correct. Correct. That is correct. And I want to say nice things about David Sparks and frustration about that particular guide all in the same breath. So David Sparks does these amazing field guides, and he did a, a great one on Keyboard Maestro, but I had difficulty learning from it because he started with a Keyboard Maestro that was filled with all of his existing macros. So he sort of jumped into the middle of development. He didn't really start at, at the you know person who knows nothing about how to do this. Why would you start here? He sort of had all these really complicated things built already. And that, that was harder for me because I didn't understand how to start. And mm -hmm. um, you jumped into it, but he discussed, and apparently you think is a good idea, remapping uh, shift control option command to the caps lock key instead of using ca caps lock for what God intended it for, which is caps lock. As I said, a contentious topic. <laughs> she made it that way. Why would you change it? Don't you want to have capital letters? I am just, I not, uh, you know, it, it's fine. There are a lot of programmers who are not um, touch typists. At least most of the, many of the programmers I know, I don't think are quite, uh, are, you know, touch typists. So, you know, you've got your two or maybe four fingers that you use, um, it, which, which works for me because most of the time when I'm programming, I'm thinking anyway. So um. <laughs> as a writer, I might be coming at that from something different. Anyway, if you uh, think wrongly and want to do that, there is a way to remap that key. So a lot of people do that and then just use caps lock to, as a single thing to hold down and then do the rest That's of right. the, the trigger, right? That is correct. And and the reason he does that, and I think he stole that from um, uh, Brett Terpstra. Okay. Uh, okay. Who, who I think was one of the people to to advocate for that. Uh, I don't think I've ever use. yelled at Brett for that, but I should. Okay. <laughs> um, 
No, I did, I did. I did a trigger that uh, after uh, I had a flurry of success right after uh, reading the or watching the field guide from David Sparks, where I, I made one that would alert me if I got on the wrong network. My Mac had a hab- has a habit of flipping over to my guest network, and now it just mm-hmm. puts a big banner up and makes a noise and goes, hey, why'd you just connect to this network, you dope? And that way I can fix it. Yeah. So that's a trigger, so, right? That That is, yeah, being on changing Wi-Fi or getting on a certain Wi-Fi is probably one of the, uh, uh, the triggers. Um, yeah, I would think that would work for if you've got a work Wi-Fi and a home Wi-Fi. You could have all kinds of automated things happen. Log me out of my work email, log me into my home email, things like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And um, so, so the caps lock thing, just to finish that off was it gives you a lot more, um, a whole nother series of um, hotkeys that you can play with. It's supposed to just, you know, command, and a letter, because a lot of those are taken up by the operating system and, and other applications. So nobody is pressing all of the things and then a letter. So I am. It gave, it, <laughs> <laughs> so it gave David the, uh, you know, sort of a whole new namespace for all of his um, macro uh, hotkeys. Okay. okay. Still not going to do it. Sort of- uh, you mentioned a trigger uh, that you can trigger keyboard maestro actions use, or macros using an iPhone? There are ways of doing that. Yes. I have not necessarily played with that. I okay. know okay. one of the things I was looking at was you can have a stream deck and, uh, and a stream deck app and, and there's some oh, uh, okay. other ways of other things that can kick it off. Okay. So um, what, what uh, he's talking about here, stream deck is a, is a physical device that has buttons on it that, that you can assign macros to. And there's also an app on iOS for Stream Deck if you don't want to buy the hardware. And I played around with it on um, Helma Vanderlin and was con- trying to convince me I needed a Stream Deck. And I played with it on the iPhone and I was able to trigger my keyboard maestro actions or yeah. macro. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. All right. So there's a zillion different ways to trigger these. What's next? And then um, you start getting into doing um, what you need to. Usually what I will start with is a, um, a semaphore, adding a semaphore action. So, so once you get into designing the macro, you would hit the, um, the plus uh, button in the, that third panel that brings up a window of, uh, you know, that's where all of a sudden you get this fly up menu of all of these actions that, you know, there's basically a, a listing of categories and all of the actions for that category. Okay. So this Um, is, this is part of the interface that's always confused me, but now walking through it with you, that does seem to make sense. So right now we talked about the middle column being macros. Well, if you size your, your columns just right, when you hit the plus button to add an action, all of a sudden your your uh, list of macros simply disappears and isn't available. And I found myself sitting there going, I know there was this thing that listed all the things I could do, but I can't find that menu anywhere because it's triggered down at the bottom of the macro Correct. of the edit window. The plus button brings that up. Okay. Correct. So this is this looks very much like uh, Automator, where you've got a bunch of different categories of things you can choose from, and then the actions you can do. Like in in uh, Automator, you can go Finder actions, and it'll be new folder, new file, open file, things like that. You've got the Correct. same kind of actions here, and and categories of actions, right? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Um, so I'll that, and so basically, you find the actions you want, and you drag them in. Uh, to your your workspace and then configure them as needed and um, and sort of stack everything together. So to, it's drag and drop. Your macro. It's drag it's, and drop. It is drag point. and drop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Drag, drop, modify, but yes. Okay. Um, and um, you know, one of the things I'll usually start most of my macros with is a semaphore lock, What's which that? would pro- so a semaphore is a sort of programmery thing that allows you to um, to block application uh, 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 pieces of code from executing. So it basically, it it it's you can think of it as as a baton kind of a thing. So the um, 
the first macro to come in to grab, you know, would, would ask, is this baton available? If it is, it grabs it. And then if another macro or, or another instance of the same macro attempted to run, it would say, um, is that baton available? And the answer would be no. So it would sit and wait um, for the baton to become available. So, so that way, uh, so the Hindenburg um, macro, as an example, starts with one of those. So if you um, attempted to run it twice without completing the, you know, completing it uh, the first time, the all subsequent attempts to run it will not kick off another um, macro on top of that, which would, in your case, in that case, would be very, very bad because that macro is sort of pasting things into uh, windows within Hindenburg. So if you were trying to run um, multiple instances of that macro at the same time, uh, you could get all kinds of uh, messes going on. Hmm. Okay. I still don't understand the word semaphore. So semaphore is, is the, the person that it's holds programming up the flags. Term. They hold up flags uh, and they're different colors and they wave them and it means things turn left, turn right. You know, like, like the person who, who tells a, a plane where to go on the tarmac, they're doing semaphore essentially. <laughs> that is true. Um, different meaning of the word, huh? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's basically, it's a, it's, it's a common thing in, in programming to, okay. um, to essentially create critical sections, uh, basically sections of code that that you don't want to have multiple threads trying to access at the same time. Okay, all right. Um, I don't completely understand them, but uh, but we'll keep going. <laughs> um, you can put it on Bart's list. <laughs> oh, to ask him what a semaphore is to explain what it is. Okay, so. We're gonna we're gonna put it in action. We're gonna put a semaphore, even though we don't know what a semaphore is. We're gonna put one of those in here, and uh, that's gonna lock this out so it can't run unless it's completed once before. Correct. So another another part of the interface that confuses me. So you drag and drop these actions in. Okay, great. I've got a semaphore lock. I don't know what it is, but we're gonna throw one of those in there because Mike tells me to. I'd never noticed, but on the very far right of the the piece we just dragged in, this action we just dragged in, there's a little gear and there's like 20 different options there too. All different kinds of things you can do. You can set the color of an action, which was something I think I ended up doing with yours or maybe you did it for me where blocks of things were the same color. They were, oh, in fact, you can engroup a series of things so you can see them together. Correct. And uh, that would sort of be... Um like making a, uh, if you think of a macro as a whole program, uh, and grouping could be sort of um, making a function within the, the macro. And oh, it's, it's just okay. grouping things that are sort of common. You can collect, and that way it's mostly done so you could collapse the, uh, that entire um, collection of actions. Right, which I did a lot so that I could try to figure out what you were doing there. Okay. All right, you can put uh, yeah. you can put notes on things, so you can. This really feels like a programming language when you start doing Correct. doing notes and things with it that you can have comments and think. Or well, comments are separate. It the comments are separate. They they are their own action, sort of non-action action. Um, one of the in that gear section, one of the common things that that you would end up using is setting the timeout. Uh, the action timeout and what happens when there is a timeout. So what is a timeout uh, so, for? Um, so some actions literally take time. Uh, they, they could be going off doing some operation that may take some amount of time. And if um, something, if that action isn't able to complete in um, a, that time period, you can have it abort the macro and/or notify you that the um, that the timeout occurred. So an example would be the semaphore um, action at the start of the macro. I usually have with a very short timeout. Okay, so if I screw up and I get distracted and don't actually finish executing it, it'll just go away by itself. It will. 
Okay. So it's, it's, uh, and you need to be careful because I think the default timeout is 99 hours, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which wait, is it's kind of long. long. It's not that long. It's one hour. Is it one hour? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, somebody just messed with your daughter changed yours. Just to make it, it may crazy. have been. Okay. Um, oh, that, that's kind of cool. Now, uh, it, go ahead. I was going to say, and then if the timeout occurs, so if, if, so much time elapsed and that action hadn't completed, um, you can then either have the, the macro abort or continue on um, and optionally um, put up a notification that uh, in notification center that the timeout had occurred. Okay. Now, speaking of time, and now I, I realize I've completely gone off script on our, on our agenda here, so I have no idea where we are on it, but uh, one of the things that I found really odd when David was was teaching it through the um, his field guide was he talked a lot about putting pauses in, where okay this thing this thing is fiddly and didn't work so just put in a, a a wait, just tell it to wait a little bit. And my first impression was, man, he's a bad coder if he's doing that. In fact, I, I heard somebody's talking about in programming if you have to put in some time to wait, then you're just bad at this. And then yep. I got yours and it was filled with those. So what what is that? So if you are doing, uh, generally you're correct, that if you're putting sleeps in throughout your program, that's usually a sign that something is not right. Um, in this case, we're not using a um, a an API to drive all of these applications. So API we, might uh, not be a phrase everybody knows. A, a programming interface, an application okay. programming interface, okay, where you're actually driving through code a particular application, um, and and in those cases, that's where um, a developer would have thought, you know, about implementing the those functions in such a way that you don't need to add all these sleeps, but keyboard maestro is literally just being the human, you know, clicking the button or, or launching the application, et cetera. Um, so in those cases, you may need to naturally wait for things to happen. So if you, the user, um, go to your dock and you launch Safari, you're not thinking that you can, at that very moment in time, be on a web page and interacting with a web page and logging into a website. You have to wait for Safari to launch. Right. Then you can go to the website. Then when you're at the website, you can log in. Okay. Okay. So those, those natural waits are there. That's just what we as humans do normally. We're waiting. Correct. Okay. And and keyboard maestro when it's clicking a button and then you know that button does an action within some application, you may need to wait a second or so, or usually a half a second for the action to take place. And if you so in code, if you you know click the button and then immediately um, go on and do the next thing, assuming that you know maybe clicking the button uh, enables some other piece of the the user interface that you're then going to have Keyboard Maestro interact with, maybe that's not even enabled yet, and and therefore the the macro doesn't function properly. Okay, I think you gave a good example in the in the notes here where you said if you opened a new window and then you wanted to immediately hit the maximize button, well the the window isn't drawn yet, but as a human you Correct. know to wait yep. until the little green button is there to hit the maximize button, but you've got to tell Keyboard Maestro, okay, give it a second, right. slow down. <laughs> what are speed? I mean, it, it, the computers are just very obedient. They're not bright, they're but they're very obedient. So, you know, they, they do exactly what you tell them to do, right? <laughs> that is true. Okay, all right. Um, so, I I think we've got a basic idea of how these pieces work. Did you find that using this, the the structured knowledge you have of how to program as a general topic, how to attack a problem is useful in, in using Keyboard Maestro? Um, it did. Um, so I think naturally the constructing the macros themselves lend themselves very much to um, a programming language. Um, 
And I think um, the way I had gotten uh, um, drafted into the Hindenburg <laughs> macro uh, was you were uh, doing a your, your photo project with Steve. Um, and you ended up in part of the workflow, you ended up having to delete a lot of folders in, um, in photos yes. uh, and you were trying, and, and in order to, to delete a folder within photos was, uh, there, there was like five or six really annoying you steps. needed to, it, it was, yeah, it, it was obnoxious. And if you had to do it once, it's no big deal, but, um, you, with your workflow that you were uh, using, you had to do it a lot. Um, and I think you had posted something in Slack that you were trying to um, to, to do that using Keyboard Maestro, and it just wasn't working. And that's where I kind of got involved in um, uh, trying to make that happen. I definitely had to sort of reverse course and trying to you know use the UI uh, mechanism of select this, click this, and do that to um, changing that up to just using the keyboard essentially, and just typing keys to do all of the, um, operations to, to get that to work. Cause it was definitely challenging to, uh, to delete the folders, uh, easily. Gosh, I'm glad you brought that up. My memory is so bad. I had completely forgotten about this and I haven't worked on the photos for a long time on Steve is scanning in photos and just the way, I think I told the whole story on the podcast, but the way it worked, you ended up having to like right click, delete, and then it, you move the mouse halfway across the screen to hit a second delete button. It was just like you said, it was just hard. And I forgot you had uh, you had actually written this for me. So I'm glad you brought that up so I can remember. Yeah, now all I have to do is hit option D. So this particular exercise brings up something I wanted to to ask about is it seems like Every time I try to do a keyboard maestro uh, macro, I end up in a situation where I have to click somewhere specific on the screen. And the only way I know how to do it is by there's an option to draw to capture what the button looks like that doesn't have a keystroke and have keyboard maestro click that that thing. It finds it on screen and it almost always works like the third or fourth try that I work on it and I get it going and then they break later. And I, I, I get so angry every time I had, I had it working and now it's, it's not working again. So can you talk a little bit about what that is? And you apparently got around it in this particular one. Um, so I, for, I think that the way we ended up getting around that was um, using the key, basically having keyboard maestro sort of emulate, keyboard presses as i recall I, I don't know that i have that macro okay. still i'm, I'm looking at it my right memory. now so uh you've got a thing that says move and click at zero zero from the current mouse location click left button with modifier control it looks like at zero zero so somehow it knows is that the one that's i think it is so you've got a semaphore lock and then you said if uh conditions met execute actions if photos is at the front, execute the following action. Then you got a comment, and the next thing says move and click at zero zero from the current oh. mouse location. That's got to be the upper left corner of the of the whole window, doesn't it? It does. I'd have to refresh my memory. I do have that. Oh, okay. Sorry um, about that. Oh, this is why I love working with Mike. The next comment says comment breathe dot dot dot. Timed pause, partly to annoy pod feet, but really to allow the photos UI to bring up the confirmation window. <laughs> that was awesome. Every day, and comments the, are fun. The the Hindenburg one is filled with snarky little uh, digs at me, so it's perfect. Um, but yeah, so that is um, just going to a specific location. But there are other ones, like you said, that you can. Um, select an image um, to uh, to find on the screen and then click relative to the found image right um, which can be can be handy yeah it seems to it seems to never work for me I mean like I said they they work for a little while but then it'll say nope I found three of them that look just like that and you're looking at it going no there's only one there's one button and it also when it, you when you do the graphic it makes it wee tiny it's like three pixels it, high so you can't actually see whether it's, you it's hard it to correctly. see 
and and it's sensitive to you know if the application wasn't um, if some other application w- was in the foreground uh, oh. and maybe the color changes uh, from like a, a blue to a gray or something that oh. will screw it up. Dark mode would probably have um, wreak havoc with it. Yeah, if changing it would. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's flipping between light mode when you captured it and dark mode when you didn't. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm not real fond of that part. I I, I feel like I, I almost get it and then uh and then I, I I get stuck. I try it and it doesn't work the next time I try to do it. Yeah, they can that those can be the, the most challenging um uh actions to use. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think we've got the the basic idea here of the of the groups, the macros, and the editing of those macros, and and how to add the different actions. Uh, certainly not a full course in that, uh, but let me ask you now. What I probably should have asked you more at the beginning, but I think it's it's good in context now. How did you learn to use this? Because when I first met you, you didn't you were not a keyboard maestro user, and now you're a convert, and you think it's worth the money. That is correct. So I um, basically took um, uh, David's uh, field guide and just after that ran with it um, and um, started implementing all of my, well, the the reason I ended up jumping in was um, Catalina broke one of my automator actions. So so I used to have uh, one of my workflows is I have a... um, a folder, sort of my my version of a delete me folder, yeah. um, and you know I put all my my bills and various document you know attachments from emails and that kind of stuff in there, um, and I want those files automatically deleted after about seventy five days, hmm. and um, the the mechanism that Automator used to find files based on time broke when going from Mojave to Catalina. Oh, okay. So all of a sudden I I went into my my delete me folder uh, and noticed that there were tons of files that (laughs) way older than 75 days um, that, uh, uh, you know, should have been deleted and weren't. And when I looked into it and uh, tried to figure out what was going on, the, um, uh, that action was broken uh, in Automator. So no way to fix that, that. That was sort of the, uh, well, I certainly couldn't fix it. I, I submitted a, a bug report to Apple. Um, and they got right but, on it and fixed it for you? Yeah, that, I wasn't <laughs> planning for them to get right on it. <laughs> um, but I ended up, you know, that was sort of the um, uh, the impetus to to push me over to something else. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, coincidentally at the same time, I think that's when, uh, uh, David Sparks had released the, um, field guide for keyboard maestro. So I was like, oh, I'll get that. And, you know, they, he was offering, they had offered a coupon, uh, code for keyboard maestro. So I basically jumped in at that point and re-implemented my, deli- my managing of the delete me folder. Um, <laughs> and then all of my, uh, text expander, um, type things, um, and things like that. So, okay. Okay. So, uh, by the way, I will put a link in the show notes to David's, uh, field guide. And and just to let you guys know what it is, if you haven't seen one of these is it's a series of, uh, video classes that you take through a, through a web interface and you can, and you learn all the different parts that he's, he's, uh, describing. So it is a video course told with the one of the snarkiest senses of humor and self-deprecating senses of humor I've ever met in my life. David David is fantastic at that. But anyway, but I have an affiliate link to that, so I want to make sure you guys use that. But you also uh, did work with the uh, with the manual, and uh, they've got a wiki as well. What's the what's the deal? Correct. There? So they've actually gone more towards the um, the wiki. Everything is essentially um, the wiki. The the manual essentially points to the the wiki entries um but they've got a great um uh documentation website mm-hmm. um and you can and and also a very active user community you can post things to their forums 
Uh, and there's some very active users in there that will generally um, take a look at you know things you're trying to do and offer possible solutions to um, you know what you're trying what you're struggling with. Oh, good, um, good. Are they? Uh, well, you wouldn't know because you're a programmer already. But are they? Are they nice to noobs that don't know what they're talking about? Like I sometimes get intimidated with an application like this. Like I know so little that I'm afraid to ask a question because I will look like an idiot. In in the posts, so I know in the sense that I've read the posts that are there, and it doesn't look like uh, it looks like it's a very friendly. Good. you know sort of um welcoming type type forum good good so so it's no, you know you you're not it, basically there's uh there, there's nothing where they're sort of giving you a, a hard time for I you just know, want not to knowing to, anything tell me to rtfm and i'm out i i don't want to hear <laughs> that you know i i do try to read i do try to understand i don't know where to look and i don't know the words to use it's so i remember right. my father when i was a kid he could not spell his way out of a paper bag and people would tell him to to look it up in the dictionary he said i can't look it up in the dictionary if i don't know how to spell it <laughs> that <laughs> now, is true now Google that makes it hard for us. yeah um I mentioned uh, that I noticed there were plugins for Keyboard Maestro, and I wondered whether that was a thriving community of plugins out there. And I don't, I don't really not see the, the plugins okay. being not from what I can find. I didn't know about that until you had pointed it out. Okay. Um, and when I looked into it, uh, essentially all you can really do. Um, for the the plugins is um, write Apple script essentially um, okay to do your um, whatever actions you're trying to do okay okay so um, that, that's not a big piece of it but you said in the uh, forums people share macros they've written they do so there's a lot more of that okay well that's, uh, that's and, and in, in theory you good. could also find um i haven't found a lot but um i have seen some people sharing macros on like github and, and stuff like that as well oh okay all right so that seems like a slightly dangerous thing to do to install somebody else's macro and i get now i'm understanding what you're saying about why it's really good that a macro is when you import it it's disabled by it's default. disabled by default the, yeah the, the yep. group is um, so that's a good thing, but you should read it and understand it. If you see words like delete or FTP, you'd probably want to <laughs> slow down a little bit and check out what that meant. That is correct. Yeah, okay. it's, it's like getting any kind of third, you know, open source, uh, you know, code off the internet and running it on your computer. It's, it's all the I same just kinds fling of all risk. that stuff in there. Right. <laughs> um, I do want to say that, uh, uh, Don McAllister of Screencast Online wrote a couple of macros for uh, ScreenFlow that just like quadruple my efficiency when I'm working in ScreenFlow. Just operations you just do all the time, you know, like a ripple delete, but a but a backup a little bit. So it, it, it deletes what you've selected and then goes back a second. So that because the first thing you do after you you do a cut in ScreenFlow when you're doing video editing is you want to see how the transition turned out. Did it work? So it always backs up a second. And and just, there's, I don't know, three or four of them in there, and they're gold. I mean, they're a 20% increase in my speed of editing a video. So uh, they're they're really valuable. I, uh, I I really need to get back into to learning it more. I should probably take David's class a second time. <laughs> Maybe it'll stick. Yeah, and, and that's getting back to the, the pain of the frequent mundane tasks, right? Yeah, how much does it irritate you? But I think you've given some other ideas to me, though, of opening your, your mind to what kinds of things would you like to have happen when you sit down to do something? Like I, I have a, an automator action I call Live Show. And uh, when, it, when I type, you know, when I run that application that I created in Automator, it launches a bunch of applications I'm going to use. It goes into Moom and it moves my windows where they're supposed to be or it used to, but it doesn't do a keystroke. So I got to learn how to do that. Probably do it in Keyboard Maestro. Um, in fact, I could probably replicate the whole thing in Keyboard Maestro, I think, because it launches a bunch of things and then it turns off Wi-Fi because I get problems if I have Wi-Fi yep. on. Uh, I'd love to loop it into HomeKit where it would also turn on my lights and turn off my phone and things like that. I wonder yep. if you can do all that. Um, you could probably do a lot of it. 
Yeah, yeah. See, this is how I tricked Mike into it. All of a sudden, Mike's going, oh, how did I, how did I loop home kid in? I can see his wheels turning in there. Well, the, I think well, this is... I, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I do have um, a keyboard maestro uh, macro that um, reboots my Homebridge server. Oh, really? Um, yeah, on my server. So um, I set the, that up as a, as a web page t- that I can go to. Oh, okay. So for the, the audience, Homebridge is the tool that allows you to put non-HomeKit compatible devices into HomeKit. So you made it a website that you go to and that automatically Well, you, it, uh, a website you, you select, uh, I can either reboot that or uh, end up disabling the um, uh, Backblaze backups. Okay. Oh, they're both in there. They're both in there now. Yes. Oh, that's funny. I might want to see what that so. looks like. That's kind of fun. All right. And then, like one of the other things I ended up doing was uh, I grabbed all of Bart's um, uh, the JavaScript for his XK password um, code. Oh, XK password. And yep. And then I have that running through a, a keyboard shortcut. So I do a keyboard shortcut. It gives me a, all the different kinds of passwords to make and select the one I want. And um, and then that uh, ends up inserting the password that gets generated. Oh, my gosh. Are you willing to share that one? Sure. That would be a really cool one. I yeah. bet Bart would like to know about it. Uh, so Bart uh, put his uh, his code out for XKPassWD. As a, an open source project, I think it's HSXKPassWD or eight. I have trouble saying it. I remember. I think that's correct. Um, actually, I think you put it in the, uh, you put it in here, HSXKPassWD. Uh, so he open sourced that. So you took that code and that's how you, you did it locally in your uh, keyboard maestro yes. macro? Wow. I bet that's and- long and complicated. Um, it's not too bad actually, uh, cause most of the work is done by his code. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, Bart will love to hear about this. Unless you, have you already told him about it? I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, I think I may have, uh, mentioned it in Slack or something at some point, but, okay. uh, just to refresh, anybody um, doesn't know what it is. It is a, a, well, he's got this open source code, but he also created a web interface for it where you can have it generate long, secure and yet memorable passwords, like passwords you can actually type and remember. And there's different different uh, categories of, of difficulty. And like he's got one for an Apple ID, so it's easy to type on an iPhone. It doesn't use some screwy set of characters that are really hard to type. Um, and I, I don't create a password without it. Every I used it today. Just always use it. The closest I did was I created a text expander snippet that includes my, uh, my formal, formula that I like in it of what kind of characters and how long and everything. And so I go to the load config field and I'd use my text expander snippet to put in my configuration. That's as close as I got to, uh, to doing a uh, macro on that. <laughs> Not quite as cool. So I guess it, it's fun. Um, All right. Well, any, so any others that you want to tell us about before we sign off? Um, so if you do take a look at, well, uh, keyboard Maestro, go back to David's uh, field guide. The conflict palettes is the one thing to pay a lot of attention to. That is sort of a brilliant feature that, that is part of Keyboard Maestro. Basically, you can have... Wait, first, tell us what a palette um, is, because I never figured out what so a palette was. A, a palette is essentially a pop-up window that will run when as part of your macro. So the conflict palette is uh, a pop-up that will run if you have the, the same hotkey trigger um, for multiple uh, macros. Oh. So as an, as an example, um, I think that, well, this changes uh, with Big Sur, but on prior to Big Sur, you could never have any of your um, your Memoji icons in the um, Mac OS messages, right? You you could only have them on your phone or your iPad. Okay. So, 
Um, so what I ended up doing was copying all of mine, uh, adding them to a um, to a Apple note, and then sort of share getting that synced over to my Mac. And then I created a, a bunch of shortcuts, all with the same um, shortcut key. Um, that so so now what happens if I type my what is it semicolon mmj for emoji? I will get a list of all of the um, macros that I have that will paste in all the different images. Oh, but that you don't need a separate uh, mac or a second trigger key for that for each one of the different ones. You just need to see a list, Correct. and then you can pick it. Correct. Oh. So so you'll see a whole list, and it'll be um, and it will be you know you type it, it's all based on the first you, you need the first unique character for each one. Um, okay. And it sort of filters down the list and and uh, and gives you um, a you know you can select which one you want from there. Okay. So put, it's one key. Into, it's, I put mine into my uh, clipboard manager. Copy M uh, used to be called Copy and Paste, by the way, and the guy had to change the mm -hmm. name, unfortunately. But Copy M, and so I've got a bunch of them in there that I can trigger if I need to. But and now I think I, now I understand the the uh, conflict palette. That makes a lot of sense. And then the palettes themselves are just um, uh, similar to that. You, you like, I have a um, you know uh, caps for me. Caps lock A brings up all my common applications, and um, so I could have a a palette that is just developer applications. So I would hit uh, um, the keyboard to to bring up all the macros, uh, all the palettes. And then hit dot D, and I'm just looking at my developer-based applications, so VS Code and Xcode and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. And it's a, it's basically it's a way to filter down all your macros. Your or your applications, mean or well, it, in my case, it's applications, but these could be any macros. So at the, at the end of the day, these macros will launch an application and then maximize it. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Okay, that's that's interesting. Just so we are uh, somewhat vaguely complete on this, Keyboard Maestro, by the way, also has a clipboard manager built into it. And I haven't done much with it. I worked with it a little bit with Dave Hamilton at one time about it. And you can have multiple named clipboards, which is an interesting thing. So if you want to play with clipboard managers and don't already have one you love, you might like the one inside uh, Keyboard Maestro. Yeah, I haven't personally gotten really into using the clipboard manager. It's, you know, it's it. I've not really adopted using one in my workflow. Okay, well, I was wrong about that for a long time too, and then I saw the light. <laughs> once once you get into it, man, you just you're paralyzed when you don't have it. It's it's like it's horrible when I don't have it. Um, there's a there's another thing. There's a switcher group I did want to bring up real quick. There's an uh, activate window switcher, which is, uh, I think that's the one that's the, it's like the replacement for the, um, oh, what's it called? When you hit command tab and you can see the, uh, the all your running applications. I forget what that's called. The, uh, everybody's yelling at their iPhones right now. Their phones, <laughs> uh, but what I'm trying to remember, but anyway, and, and the application switcher, I guess it is, but you've yeah. got that inside. You can have, oh, it's the activate application switcher comes on automatically within uh, Keyboard Maestro, and it really confused the heck out of me because all of a sudden, when I hit Command-Tab, I got a different application switcher than I was used to seeing. It overrides the regular one, and I think that was on by default, and I found that really odd. I, I thought something was wrong with my Mac. I was like, because I didn't even know what caused it. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, I haven't, see, I haven't run into that. Yeah. Different, different kind of tool. So there's a lot of depth to this application. And uh, you put a couple of links in the show notes to a couple of uh, iMore articles that uh, are, are helpful to getting started too? Yep. Okay. Uh, so we'll have right. those in the show notes. And uh, we believe this is accessible as well. From what I could see uh, and what I was able to test, it, it does appear to be accessible. And I did a little search online, and I think it is accessible. Uh, don't hold me on that because I don't know exactly how to use everything in it. But uh, I don't know how to use the tool in, in its entirety anyway. Saying everything's accessible would uh, have to be an exaggeration. So, 
but we did want to add that. So if people want to uh, want to play with you and talk to you about these kinds of things, would the best place to be to go to our Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack and find you in there as Grumpy? That would be the best way, yes. All right, very cool. He's very active in there, very active in the PBS channel, uh, but also the silly channels like Delete Me and uh, pretty much anywhere in there. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the uh, on the show, Mike, and, uh, and and teach us a little bit about how you learned this and and what uh, what Keyboard Maestro can do for you. Well, thank you. It was fun. All right, we'll see you on we'll see you on Sunday in the live show. You can talk to him there too. <laughs> that is true. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSillaCastaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSillaCastaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.